Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We spent the first hour of the show today without a really good follow-up to yesterday's conversation about our uh, state of our education system. Today was the state of our work ethic. Had some incredible phone calls from people saying, no one shows up to work ever. I can't get anyone to work. Can't get anyone to show up. I can't get anyone who's not high. I, I can't get, people aren't stealing. It's unbelievable. The work ethic is abysmal. And we talked about that for an hour, and that was enlightening and <laughs> depressing. But there was a solution to the end of it. You can listen to the whole podcast, the whole show on SiriusXM, become a subscriber. And that was the first hour. Uh, I want to play this, though. Yesterday, on my TV show, we interviewed Dan Crenshaw about Ukraine. And he said some stuff here that was, uh, the whole thing was interesting. I'll leave it at that. And the phone calls afterwards <laughs> were enlightening as well. Here's our Dan Crenshaw interview about Ukraine. I want to t- there's a great article on Breitbart.com right now about J.D. Vance. So we'll talk about him in a minute because it's about this topic here. Yesterday on my TV show, I interviewed Congressman Dan Crenshaw. And you can hear the whole interview. Uh, and the whole special was called, Who is Zelensky? It was an exposed, Who is Zelensky? It's on the first TV.com slash exposed. Now, very quickly, before we play these clips here, my, uh, I, I used, <laughs> I don't want to show my hand. Uh, I, by default, liked Dan Crenshaw because he was a Navy SEAL. That was it. That's, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. He's a Navy SEAL. Okay, cool. I like him. Maybe that's not good enough of a reason <laughs> to like someone. <laughs> I just, I said, so I want to play these clips here. And I don't know how much focus we should put on what he says versus how he says it. Maybe it's best to look past the how he says it. Or maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe no, maybe that's actually the more important thing. I don't know. I really don't know. That could be, the how could be a great insight into the what. Unfortunately. Or no, the what's all that matters. We'll focus on the what. Okay. So uh, a couple clips. Uh, I asked him, why is Ukraine? He's very pro-Ukraine. Pro-sending stuff. I mean, you'll see here, but just so you can get your head right. He's, he's the, he was on the pro. He was our guest who was the pro-Ukraine. We need to do more with Ukraine. Whatever. So I asked him, why is Ukraine a priority for us? Now, this is just coming out of a clip of Mitch McConnell saying that funding Ukraine is the number one priority for most Republicans. Number one. Is that true for you? If you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, is funding Ukraine the number one priority? All right, here's what Dan Crenshaw says. Yeah, keyword, it's a priority. It's it's not the priority, but it's it's important. Um, Mitch McConnell's statement is was 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 right on. This is this is never about Ukraine. It's not about Zelensky. It's not about whether we like Zelensky. It's not about whether we like the Ukrainian government um, or even the people. Uh, it's whether we believe that we should live in a world where other countries are not invading other countries just because they like their stuff. 
you can go live in that world. Uh, and that's the pre-World War II world. That's the world humanity has lived in for thousands and thousands of years. And by the way, our, our situation wasn't so good, right? Our, our, our way of life, our quality of life has increased dramatically since World War II, since America basically took the stage and said, everybody's going to stop and shut up and you're going to trade with each other. And if you have disputes, you can talk about it. That's it. That's what America did. That is that is the gift that America brought to the world, that and our constitution, our sense of, of rights and a few other things as well. But if you revert back to a pre-World War II era, then you don't get any of the stuff that you have right now. Your way of life as you know it slowly starts to deteriorate and end. And Ukraine is not some nothing country, okay? Um, they provide a, a large amount of pig iron ore, which we use for our steel. They produce a ton of neon. Neon is a key component of silicon chips, by the way. Um, they are but provide about 12% of the world's uh, grain of food produce, okay? Not our food in the United States, but developing countries' food. And if you think those things aren't connected, you're crazy and naive and need an education in global politics and global economics. Because once developing countries start to fail, then we have to intervene further. Everything is connected. The world is very small. I think the people who don't believe anything I just said have a fundamental premise that is false, which is that the world's a very large place. They're still living in the, the, the 1600s, the 1700s, where it took you know six months to get from here across the country or to Europe or wherever it is. Everything was very far away and disconnected. That's not how the world is now. It hasn't been that way for a very, very long time, in fact. And so you do have to pay attention and you do have to prohibit this 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 devolution uh, of the global order uh, into one where, where, where bullies and thugs and dictators just fill power vacuums as fast as they can. United States is, is well so, positioned to stop that. Um, now, we always do a cost-benefit analysis, but in this particular case, our cost-benefit analysis is rather simple. We lose no Americans. Uh, we provide uh, a, a bunch of weapons and ammunition that is just collecting dust on our shelves. We don't really want it anymore. We'd rather actually buy new stuff and, and, and fill up our stocks, which is a lot of a lot of the money goes to. So we spend almost no money. We spend about 10 percent of our annual defense budget on this on this particular war. And we managed to defeat and degrade a major rivalry. OK, so there's his thesis at the end. That's his main argument. So we benefit America benefits because we get to get we, we get rid of our old bombs. Sure, they land on people and kill people, whatever. We get rid of our bombs. We buy new ones. We no Americans die. It's only 10% of our defense budget. And we weaken Russia. That's that's his main thesis to why this is a good thing. There's a lot to break down there. And by the way, we'll take your phone calls, of course, here too. 866-95-PATRIOT, your rebuttals to Dan Crenshaw. But I want to go back to his idea of borders. For all of human history, all of it, peoples have invaded other peoples because they like their stuff. That's how it's always been. Now, Dan Crenshaw says that's bad. He says that was the old pre-World War II world where big countries or empires would take over lands and tribes and that's bad and our new way of doing things is way better. That's, that's, and, our, I should, and our new way of doing things is better, period. And he says, everything else is better about the modern world too. And then he says, if we go back to the old world of ever-changing borders, then we will also 
lose all the good things of post-World War II and we'll go back to all the other terrible things of pre-World War II as well. You with me on that? That's what he said. And I don't, I don't think I agree with that premise. Just because if we went back to the old way of borders and people invading other countries and stuff like that, I don't know if that necessarily means we go back to everything. Like, like why, why, why is everything now the old way? But there's a, there's a, um, an arrogance maybe to this idea that these are the borders. This is it. It's post-World War II. That's it. We're done. These are the borders forever. Russia, you have your borders. That you're Russia. This is what we call Ukraine now. This is what we call Estonia. And that's the end of it. And I don't understand that. How many thousands of years can we go back to people of this very region, this, this little portion of land on the planet? How far do you go back before you're like, oh, these are the authentic rightful owners of this region? I don't know. Like, like this area we call Ukraine, it had its golden era in the 10th century. Vladimir the Great was 9, 952, something like that. And then the Mongols came in and took it over 200 years later. I don't know. Did the Mongols have a claim of it? It's like, oh, it's ours, the Mongolia. Like, we want it. And the Ukrainians would be like, no, Vladimir the Great. Well, who did Vladimir the Great take it from? Or who, who was there before Vladimir the Great? I don't know. I don't know. Who, like, who are the rightful owners of Ukraine? The Ukrainians? What does that mean? What does it mean, Ukrainians? And if Russia comes in and says, this, this, is, this part's ours, I'd say, okay. I, mean, I don't know. I don't, like, I, don't, I don't think that's the end of the global world order. And then everything has to collapse because one country says, we want that part of, or we want, you want, we want your country. And then they fight and then whoever wins, wins it. <laughs> like that's like, that's it. I was one day, I was at a Trump rally actually in uh, 2016 in uh, LA or Orange County. And there were these, uh, like Hispanic uh, pro Mexico activists. There. And he was talking about how we stole all this land from Mexico. And how that's not right. And I said, um, I said, we won. I don't, what do you want me to tell you? Like, <laughs> like the Americans, they're like, oh, you stole it from us. Like, okay. Yeah, uh, we win. We won. Steal it back. I don't know. What do you want? What do you want me to do? Oh, you white man came here and you, you fought us and you, you took it. I said, yep. That's what we did. What, and what's your point? We won. Like, that's just how it's always been. And I don't even know why that's bad. I don't know. Like I, that's just what it is. And I, I can't, I don't, listen, I don't know the, in, the intricate histories of every European country and region going back thousands of years. But I cannot pretend to think that even if Russia took over all of them, that that would be the end of the West. Or the end of the global. I don't want Russia to because I don't like Russia's. I don't like communism. Right? But I don't. I don't know if that's. Oh, the whole thing's going to collapse. And even Russia itself. Who's to say what Russia is? So Ivan the Terrible was 1552. And it was this tiny thing. Ivan the Terrible's territory was just this little tiny area around Moscow. 
And then they grew and grew. And now they have this huge area of land. They used to own what's now Kazakhstan. I don't know. Would it be worse off if Russia still had Kazakhstan? Would it, would we be better off if Russia was smaller? And they're like, let's say the portion of Russia that's next to Alaska. Like if we owned that, would we be better off? I don't know. Maybe would the world be better? Let's, or let's say it wasn't us. Let's say that area next to Alaska was its own new country. Is that better? I don't know. What's better? I don't know. What's the right, what are the right borders? I just think we, we have this modern sensibility that I think it's like, oh, like that's, you shouldn't, no one, no one change ever. The borders have to be exactly as, we figured it out. Thank goodness. We're awesome. <laughs> we, we got it. We got it. And no one can do anything ever to move them in any way, for any reason, by any means. And I, I'm, I just, I don't see that. You got to give me something better than that. Now, if it's, oh, Ukraine makes a lot of pig iron and, and grain, then it'd be like, oh, okay, like, well, maybe it's worth fighting a war to keep the pig iron and grain. Or maybe it's not. Maybe we got pig iron in other places, and that's fine. Here's more Dan Crenshaw. Let's say, let's say there was a world where America didn't get involved at all, took the isolationist approach, and Russia yeah. just swept through Ukraine. Do you think they would keep going? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, 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 let's think through that uh, scenario. Um, yeah. Russia sweeps through Ukraine and in an isolation scenario, Ukraine has never had any of our weapons. They've, they've never had any of our training or support. And if they don't have our support, they probably won't have European support too. You know, we can get to the Europeans to do a lot and they've, um, you know, as, as far as hard dollars that Europe as a whole is, is I think put forward twice what we have. Um, as, as percentage of GDP, they put up a lot more than we have. So, so they'll, they'll do what needs to be done if we lead the way. Well, let's assume we did it. Let's assume none of that ever happened. So Russia would have swept through Ukraine uh, rather easily. You know, weapon systems like stingers and javelins were essential to keeping Kiev uh, out of Russian hands. So without those things, the Russians would not have taken the losses that they have taken. They wouldn't be crippled the way they're crippled. They would have swept through and they'd be on the border of four more NATO countries, four. And if you think that doesn't bring us closer to war, not further from it, but closer to war, again, I, I think it's a, that would be a naive opinion to have. Uh, Russia has made plenty of statements. They do plenty of military exercises, uh, practicing bombing Stockholm, uh, taking offensive action. You know, when NATO does exercises, it's always defensive action. This is, this is another this is another argument people make. Well, you know, NATO provoked them. That, that's BS. Not even Putin believes that. Uh, NATO is, is by its very nature a defensive cooperation agreement, and and everybody knows that. Um, and, and also, you know, if if it were true that that actually threatened Russia, then they'd be invading Finland right now. Because Finland's joining NATO, and they have a much larger border with with Russia. Of course, they don't care. Right. Because they want Ukraine. They, they think it's theirs. That's what this is about. It was never about about, uh, uh, you know, NATO provo provocation or anything. OK, real quick. Doesn't that negate his point then? I said, would they sweep across the rest of Europe? He said, yes. But then he just said they 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 don't attack Finland, who they have a giant border with because they want Ukraine. They think Ukraine is theirs. OK, well, listen, what's the, what is Russia's goal? Take over Ukraine because they think it's theirs or world domination. That's what I asked him. I said, will they keep sweeping across Europe? He said, yes. Okay, well, why, don't, why didn't they take over Finland? 
He just said they don't want Finland. Isn't that what he just, I think he just said that, right? Let me go back 10 seconds. Sure, of course, they don't care, right? Because they want Ukraine. They, they think it's there. Go back one more. The Russia, they'd be invading Finland right now. Because Finland's joining NATO, and they have a much larger border with, with Russia. Of course, they don't care, right? Because they want Ukraine. They, they... Okay, so they want Ukraine. So are they going to sweep across all of Europe? Yes, but they don't want, do they want all of Europe? Well, no, they want Ukraine. Okay, like, uh, okay, like, so I, like, I, I share that not to say that it's okay for them to go into Ukraine, but I think there's this, this, listen, not everything is World War II and Hitler. Okay, like, like I know every, it's like the one thing we all know, it's the one historical parallel that everyone can make about everything constantly all the time, and it's good to make historical parallels. I like making historical parallels. But not everything is Hitler and not everything is World War II. Some things are Hitler and World War II. Not everything. So I don't, I don't think, what do I know? I don't think Putin would invade Germany. I don't think they think Germany is theirs. They think Ukraine is theirs, okay? I don't think they would sweep Do you think they would sweep across Europe? I, I don't think so. Maybe they would. Maybe they would. I don't think so. All right, two more clips. Um, I told Dan Crenshaw, I said, people, I, I think people are frustrated because there's no light at the end of the tunnel. What is a win? What does winning look like? All we want strategically is that Russia thinks this was a mistake and that China thinks this was a mistake. That is an enormous strategic win. I get that it doesn't mean much to somebody who, you know, just living their daily life here in the United States. I promise you that's a huge strategic win because you do not want to live in a world of chaos. It is the American Navy, it is the American military that, that, that prevents the world from devolving. You know, not too long ago, Iran tried to um, take over a few uh, cargo vessels in the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, well, didn't have any of my stuff on it, so what do I care? Right. That's, their, that's kind of your typical parochial reaction. Well, you should care. Because if, if state actors start taking over cargo ships, well, guess what happens to cargo insurance and maritime insurance? It skyrockets because it's now the norm, because America doesn't care anymore. It's now the norm that this kind of stuff just gets taken from the sea. And so everything that you order, everything that, 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 that you buy from the global economy, which, by the way, is everything, just skyrocketed in price and you can't afford anything. Your small business goes under we start to feel those effects. That's just a small example of how everything is connected. And it's naive and deeply foolish to pretend that it isn't. And so, yeah, the time is now. Give them, give them weapons that will give them a decisive advantage so that we can move toward a position where Russians feel like they have no more to gain. That's, that can happen sooner than later. We, we're, we're suffering from an extreme uh, vacuum of leadership. From okay, so that Navy example is, I don't think, proper. Uh the point of the Navy, the point of a Navy, the point of any Navy, the purpose of Navy is to protect global shipping. The founding purpose of a Navy is to protect ships for global trade. That's always been the point. Ancient Rome, the purpose of the Navy in ancient Rome was to ensure that grain imports could make their way across the Mediterranean Sea. That's it. That's the point of a Navy. So yes, of course, the Navy would take action against Iran or any other country taking over ships. That is their purpose. That is why they were created. That's one thing. The point of the army 
is not to defend the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Now, if you want to say it's good, and we should, okay, but that's not their point. And you can't, you can't look at the, well, what the Navy did over here, therefore the Army should do over here. Those are different things. He was in the Navy, I don't know. So last, last clip, I asked him why Trump, when Trump talks about Ukraine, he always talks peace. Anytime a reporter asks him about Ukraine, he says, I just want peace. I want peace. We're going to bring everyone together. We're going to create peace. I'm going to make peace. We need peace. I don't ever hear Dan talk about peace. I don't hear any Republicans talk about peace, honestly. So I asked him about that right here. Because I'm not naive. Because I'm not a fool. So, so a fool might say, I'm for peace. Well, that's nice. I mean, go write a fiction novel about your peace. We're not the ones who, who choose peace or no peace. The Russians are. So you have, to, you have to put them in a position where they have to choose peace. And you do that through strength. And so <laughs> that's why you don't hear it, because I'm not stupid. And, and I'm so tired of this, right? Like, I hear people try to take this like silly third option. Well, I'm for peace. I just think people should stop fighting. We're fueling a war. Well, you know what? Go hang out with your, 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 your late 60s liberal professors, Vietnam protesters, and, and, and talk about foreign policy with them, because that's exactly what you sound like. You sound naive, and you sound like, like you, you, you don't want any solutions, and you, and you, and you, want, to, you want to backtrack America out of, out of global leadership and basically go the way of Europe. If you want to go the way of Europe, if you want to be like Europe, where you're completely dependent on others, where you have no leadership in the world, where you have no say in what goes on, then by all means... By all means, we should go down this isolationist path. But the reason you don't hear this this starry-eyed, uh, naive call for peace is because it's just that. Our our position of, of imposing that strength up front quickly and decisively is what actually leads to peace. So I guess we talk about peace in that sense. But but I but I'm I'm just so taken aback by so many on my own side. Who think well? They'll literally say, you know, I mean, I think, I think Russia should lose. I think Ukraine should win, but it's really just not our fight. Well, let me tell you something. If you're choosing not to help Ukraine, you are actively choosing for Russia to win. You are being pro-Russia. People don't like hearing that. It's super offensive to to some people because they don't want to hear the truth. But if you have a friend who's getting their butt kicked, and all you have to do is give them a weapon, all you just do is hand it to them, just hand them that weapon, and they can fight off their attacker, and you refuse to do it you are actively choosing for your friend to die, right? Now, on an individual level, I think that's how we would see it. Like, you, you're watching it, and you actively choose that to happen. That's the same here. So you are actively choosing for Russia to win. We didn't put ourselves in this position. We did not create the war. The Russians did. So when we talk about peace, we are not the ones who choose. The Russians are. They have a say in this. Because people ask again, too, why, why is Russia our enemy? Why, why can't we just be friends with them? I don't know, because they don't want to be our friend. Like, wake up. <laughs> don't be naive. They don't want to be our friend. They, they, they do cyber attacks on our infrastructure. Stop there. Dan Crenshaw. 866-95-PATRIOT. Did you find what Dan Crenshaw said there, his arguments for our involvement in Ukraine, did you find that convincing? 866 866- Nine five picture. I gave him twenty five minutes to make the case. Again, you can watch the whole thing on the firsttv.com slash expose. Um, I think it comes out tomorrow. But uh, that that was the gist. I took the the highlights there. So did you find any of that convincing? 
Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. We talked to Matt Boyle about the debate tonight. Matt, how you doing, sir? Doing well, Mike. How are you, sir? Really good. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being you already have the 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 buffalo wings and, and, the, and the dip made ready for tonight. You cannot wait for tonight's debate. That's a 10. Where are you on your excitement scale? Look, I think it's important to continue to have these conversations uh, and to continue to have the discussions among the field and to track what's going on. But I also think that it's, uh, you know, the event that will happen an hour before the debate where the former president, Donald Trump, who will not be on the debate stage, will be uh, appearing with United Auto Workers in uh, Michigan who are striking, um, is far more important than the debate uh, tonight. And, I need a number, Matt. Uh, I need a one to ten. It, it, where are we at? We're at like a five. Okay, so, all right. That's... And the reason why is is because uh, again, while I'm, I, I do think it's important to see these conversations continue for issue based purposes. Uh, I think it's also pretty clear uh, that barring some major change in the trajectory of this race, we know who the Republican nominee is likely to be next year, right? Like, and that's that's going to be Donald Trump. Um, so I can't see Ron DeSantis making a comeback at this point. I, I think his campaign has floundered and he's in serious trouble. Nikki Haley's worth watching, but uh, you know, uh, and she she definitely has been seeing some surging in numbers. So we'll see if she's able to break out of the second tier. Uh, and move up, but uh, it, it just doesn't seem like uh, and move up to be like a serious threat to Trump or something like that. But it just doesn't seem like any of these people is even remotely in the ballpark. Look, Donald Trump's at majority support in New Hampshire, Iowa, and South Carolina in the recent polls that have come out of those places, and the other candidates are lucky to be in the teens if they are right. Has like, there ever and been a primary so like just, that. Has there been a primary where the, where a guy is is forty five points no, ahead? Not that I can think of. Like, not that I can think of. And so it just doesn't seem like. I mean, look, Trump had in twenty sixteen. Trump had like ten point leads in these places, not forty point leads in these places. And Trump steamrolled everybody to the Republican nomination. Right, like. I don't know if he's going to win all of these states. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But it, it, it seems like at this point that until somebody can demonstrate that they have the ability and the wherewithal and the position, and, and they have to show this in polls, they have to show this in fundraising, they have to show this in uh, support, events, et cetera, there's all sorts of things they can demonstrate that they have the ability to defeat Trump and to get more delegates than him in next year's primary, which I don't think any of the other candidates, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy have demonstrated. I I, I think that it's important that these discussions happen on issues. And I like that they talk about that as much as possible and anything we can do to cover the issues and what these candidates are saying is important. I like that. Don't get me wrong. But the more important fight that's happening is the the general election battle that's already begun between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. We're in the middle of the greatest rematch in American history. Uh, this is Rocky Three that's playing out right now, right? Like, and uh, you know, and so I I think that um, 
that's far more important tonight. What do you make of the poll, the ABC News one, where Trump was up by 10 over Biden, that we kept hearing was an outlier, an outlier, an outlier, and now we have a new poll where Biden, excuse me, where Trump's up by five, so still up by way more than he was ever up in the 2020 elections. Yeah, first off, if they're tied, which is what the NBC News poll that came out over the weekend shows, right? Like, so Donald Trump wins the Electoral College in a landslide, right? Like, so remember, Hillary Clinton beat Trump by like three million popular votes, right? Like, and then if you believe what happened in 2020, uh, Joe Biden won by like eight million or something like that. The, the point is, is that uh, it, it, Republicans have an inherent advantage in the, pop, uh, in, the in the Electoral College. They just do. Uh, Democrats have an inherent advantage in the popular vote, at least in recent years, and mm. at least against Trump. So the, the, the fact is, is that uh, I, I don't know which of these polls is right, whether the one that has them up 10 or 5 or that has them tied. But I will say this. The best, the, the, the best case scenario for the Democrats and the worst case scenario for Trump is that Trump is tied with Biden, which means electoral college victory. That's what that translates into. A tie in the national popular vote means that Trump wins probably Wisconsin, probably wins Michigan, probably wins Pennsylvania, right? Like uh, uh, definitely wins the state he won in 2020, like Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Iowa. Um, and, and Trump probably flips back places like Georgia and Arizona. So the, the fact is, is that um, uh, Democrats are right to be terrified right now. Uh, there's definitely something going on in the country. Um, everybody I'm talking to, look, I was just at, out, out in Oklahoma. I just went back to Florida yesterday, but I was just out in Oklahoma for a two-day energy summit. And there's a lot of business leaders, uh, political leaders, et cetera, that I was talking to there. Um, they're starting to get the sense, like across industry, that things, something's up, something's happening, right? Like I interviewed Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, yesterday morning uh, in Oklahoma City, and he was saying that he, you know, he thinks something's up, right? Like so, I, I, I think that uh, uh, you know, people are starting to recognize that there's something going on here. Uh, it feels a lot like the lead up to 2016. I don't want to count our chickens before they hatch, and we've got a lot of football left to play here, right? Like, this is the first quarter if the game's even started yet. Yeah, we have 400 days. Things are looking good for Donald Trump. Yeah, 400 days to go. What did you learn at this energy event? Well, look, this is an industry of people that are, uh, they understand that their industry, this is a a lot of folks that were engaged in natural gas production or oil production, et cetera, here in the United States and around the world. They understand that their their industry is under assault by Joe Biden and his administration, that Joe Biden's administration wants to destroy American energy production. And we can see that, that uh, one of the speakers there, Stephen Moore from the Heritage Foundation, was saying that the goal for the Biden administration and the uh, radical left is that they want to send us to net zero in terms of, uh, uh, you know, fossil fuel production uh, in the United States. Whereas it's a drastic contrast with where we were under Trump, where we actually were uh, producing more than Saudi Arabia or the Russians. Right? Like that had never happened before in, in American history. So we were actually producing more oil and natural gas in Saudi Arabia when Donald Trump was the president. When Joe Biden's the president, 
we're we're on the path and trajectory to net zero. So uh, these people understand that. Uh, and but they, the the other thing is they have a, a a real interesting like rugged individualist you know entrepreneurial spirit about them. They don't they don't they they they, they confront this like mindset from the Biden West and so on and so forth that. Uh, you know, they want to basically put them out of business with clear eyes and they, they are walking right into the whole thing. And unlike so many people in our, you know, political class and even business class, et cetera, uh, these days, these folks want to get to yes. They want to figure out, OK, uh, we understand the challenges in front of us. We know the government wants to stop us. How do we beat them? How do we figure it out? And it was it was kind of refreshing to see that it was like. It was a very, like, upbeat mentality. The people in Oklahoma were great. It was my first time ever there. I learned um, a lot about Oklahoma City. Um, so, uh, yeah, I had a blast while I was out there for that. You wrote in your article about this, which is on the front of Breitbart.com right now, uh, the section from Fred Smith, who is the founder of uh, FedEx. And this is what we talked about for the whole first hour of the show is people's work ethic and – they talked. Yeah. The CEO talked about how Biden and his policies have caused men to leave the workforce and not return. And he says we can do anything. We can have seven the best. Million. It's unbelievable. He said we lost seven percent of our workforce. He said the commitment to work, the willingness to do hard jobs like loading and unloading trucks, that's deteriorated. That's a massive cultural problem in our country right now, um, and we we have to fight back on that one. Uh, we only got about two minutes, Matt. And again, that article is on Breitbart.com. What do you think of Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom doing their debate in November? Look, it's great and all, right? Like, I, I, again, <laughs> I'm always for more debates and more discussion. But again, Ron DeSantis is not going to be the Republican nominee for president in 2024. And in, in, given the damage that he's done to his political reputation with this campaign, I don't know if he'll ever be the Republican nominee. For what president, about from Newsom's right? like, perspective? Um, I, I think, but I do think it's important to show the difference in contrast. I think he's been a great governor of Florida, right? Like I live in Florida. I'm a huge fan of Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I think he's done a good job as governor of Florida. So I, I, I think that seeing the difference in the way that the two governors have run their states is fantastic. But I don't think it's going to help him save his presidential. Campaign. What about from Gavin's perspective? I'm still of the school of thought that he is positioning himself to be the guy that when Joe Biden drops out, he's oh, I'm, oh, I could do it. He's boom, right there, ready to go. I don't think that the Democrats are uh, in a position where they can. If that was going to happen, they would need to look. You, if if you're going to run for president, you need to first off, good luck to. Okay, there's a there's a bunch to unpack there, but basically, I don't think that they can just swap out Biden for Newsom. First off, they've got a Kamala problem in the way. Good luck to the white man that tries to replace the black. Man. Right. Like it's not going to work out that well. Um, but secondly, the, 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 they don't have enough time to do that. Like it's a, it, I don't think that's doable now. He's running in 28, not this year. Matt Boyle, Breitbart News, Washington Bureau Chief. Keep up the great work, Matt. Appreciate you. Yep. Thanks. Sir. Have a wonderful day. Uh, so I still think Gavin, <laughs> I think Gavin is the guy. I think it'll be after the primaries. So. They'll, they'll have already done it all and they're like oh we don't have time to to do another primary so what do we do and uh, and then they're like oh well we're a private club we can do whatever we want we have super delegates let's just have this guy do it i still think that's the play but who knows 
Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. We've got the debate tonight. We will watch it. You don't have to talk about that. Many other things. Oh, I got Alex uh, Marlowe on the show tomorrow at, I believe, 7 o'clock. Do some post-debate coverage. And his book is coming out in just a few days now. Breaking Biden. Buy it now. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. And I won't apologize.